You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities, a show where we think the Bible's a lot more fun when understood correctly. Um, Stranger. Was, more oddities. Yes, <laughs> it is much stranger when understood correctly, but it's better. Yeah, well, I hope so. So that being said, we're, <laughs> we're working on it. We're in Samuel still. Um, this is what, our third week in chapter 17? I think so. Awesome. <laughs> I think There's... so. And I think we've got a few more weeks in us, honestly. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's do it. You know, so... Uh, it, it's a great story. And like I said before, I was shocked because I was stupid enough to think that I knew it. And it's a great lesson to realize, don't just know your Bible, read your Bible. There's a difference. And a lot of us think we know and we don't bother to read. Yeah. Well, and, and read it to get to know it too. Don't, mm-hmm. don't just read it to check off your... <laughs> Your Bible in a year plan. Take your little daily prescription pills of daily verses. So, yeah, yeah not, you know, okay, we've got we to should, clarify that. Oh no, we're going to have to clarify okay. it because, you know, it's not a bad thing to read your Bible every no, day. Not a bit. And not bad to even have goals for how much you want to get through. Sure. But if you aren't interacting with the script uh, with the script with the text and actually reading the words on the page not just kind of skimming through them and saying oh yeah my eyes went over them so i read it Mm -hmm. you aren't getting anything out of it so it is so much better to slow down and say i'm going to take three verses and i'm going to read them in depth and actually consider what they mean than trying to rush through an entire chapter right and so you know, we aren't saying don't read your Bible or don't have daily devotions. We're just saying do it in a way that you get the most out of it. Yeah. And well, I, I think of it as like training. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it, a lot of people kind of, it feels to me like we're kind of given the Bible as like a prescription mm-hmm. that here, take this pill and you'll get better. Right. Whereas it's, it's like training, you know, like I obviously don't know much about training. <laughs> um, but I, what I've read, uh, <laughs> as far as like exercise and things like that is you if you want results you have to work with the equipment and the bible is like the your mm-hmm. your equipment mm-hmm. it, you have to enter you don't just read the instruction manual and say you're done right you, you actually have to interact with it and work it over and like maybe actually apply it like actually get yeah. on the treadmill and and make those steps yeah. and yeah that makes sense to me because we're, we're just, we're lazy about the Bible as a culture. We're so used to having it in our homes and we're so used to one in every hotel. The schools mm-hmm. used to pass them out. You know, how many of us got those little Gideon Bibles floating around our houses someplace? Oh, there's a few. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, we've become immune. And yeah. it, it's sad because there's so much good stuff in here. And I may have relocated the Bible from the hotel room I was at in Vegas, <laughs> like to my house, because the ones in Vegas are gold. The Gideon Bibles are gold in Vegas. They're, that's a free story. So I'm sorry. Nathan stole a Bible. That's awesome. Well, I think they, I think they're okay if you take them with you. I mean, yeah, no, the, the Gideons actually the Gideons. want people to take the Bibles and read them. That's, that's the, their whole purpose in distributing them. And so I actually, so to add on to that story, it's kind of fun. Uh, the little, um, Dollar General store up the street from where I live, they always, when you walk in, they always have a stack of the little Gideon Bibles there for people to take. Oh, that's and cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. And, um, you know, there's, they're everywhere. It's on your phone. There's no excuse not to read. So just read and think. That's all I ask. Just read and think. I did not mean to set that up <laughs> when I introduced the show. Um, so I have. Hope you're all good with that. A field of landmines around me when it comes to this stuff. So, but um, we had concluded uh, last week. David's kind of been working the crowds. He he's been talking to the people and saying, "Hey, you know what's going on." He's getting their feedback. He's um, giving his own views and reminding people of who they are. 
And we're getting ready to move into the speech by Eliab, his his older brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eliab is, we, we've already been introduced to him. Um, so let's just kind of look at what verses 28 through 30 say. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to kind of hit some high points. But he basically hears what David's doing. Okay. And, you know, he's the oldest brother. He's probably older than David by at least 10 years because of the number of brothers between them. Uh, it may be more. We really aren't certain a precise number, but, yeah. you know, he's not real close in age to David. Um, he's the brother that Samuel initially thought was going to be Saul's replacement. And, you know, Eliab, Eliab is tall. He's good looking. Mm-hmm. He's an impressive guy. Um, and this is when God corrects Samuel and says, don't look on the outward appearance. You need to look at the heart. And in this passage, we're given a glimpse of Eliab's heart, and we're, we're, we begin to see evidence of why God decided Eliab was not the right one to be the king of Israel. And a lot of commentators really focused on his anger towards David, and they, they see this as the factor for why Eliab was disqualified uh, as the king, and I, I think there's you know, a lot of truth in that, but they're kind of missing the obvious. Because Eliab, he's been there watching Goliath, presumably for these 40 days, watching Goliath make these taunts, come out every morning, you know, leave every, every evening. Um, but he doesn't have the faith and courage to go out and meet Goliath on the battlefield. And because we've been given this description of Eliab as being tall, very similar to Saul, mm-hmm. he also is an ideal candidate. Right. And, you know, we have absolutely no reason to think that Eliab's childhood was much different than David's. And, you know, he probably watched the sheep and tended the flocks, mm-hmm. you know, until another brother got old enough to take over and he took on greater responsibilities. Um, he probably faced the same challenges in that job that David did, facing lions and bears and tigers, oh my, you know, all of that. But he, he had, uh, yeah, sorry, I had to make the joke. Um, but he didn't see this as, um, as a reason. Nathan was shaking his head for those of y'all who can't see us. Um, I was just trying to ignore it. I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to let you. Uh, but you know, his, his childhood experiences didn't embolden him. They didn't bring life to his faith the same way that they did for David. And Eliab accuses David of having these ulterior motives for showing up. You know, why have you come down here? Who's watching the sheep? I, I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, and you just wanted to see the battle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, number one, Eliab doesn't know David's heart. Right. I mean, that, that's just the first thing that, that should, we should realize. He's, he's not been given any supernatural insight. Mm. Only God sees the heart, and God will reveal it to his prophets, but Eliab is not one of God's prophets. Um, he has no clue that David is there on Dad's orders. Mm-hmm. Dad sent him, and David had left the sheep with a keeper. And, of course, we've been told that specifically before all this. Right. And, <laughs> and it's funny because he, he's like, well, who did, who did you leave the sheep with? Like, just implying that he just up and left the flock to to abandon his post well you know this is thoughtless little brother yeah 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 and and but i mean it just seems so weird that that's the accusation when i'm certain david probably delivered a message to them that hey hey here's the stuff dad sent you (laughs) right well i mean obviously they didn't think much of him because i mean david was left out of the whole ceremony to pick a king yeah. Nobody thought to, to bring him in. And I do think that we need to ask a couple of questions of Eliab's speech here. And, you know, how well does he know David's heart? Mm-hmm. Because uh, just from a, a circumstantial viewpoint, I mean, he is David's brother. He's probably spent a lot of time with David. He may have even been the one in charge of making sure David did his job and did his chores. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in large families, it's not uncommon for, for the, the older oh, children to, to help yeah. out. Yeah, They're the second I, parents. Yeah, I and I do I do find it funny on this kind of a tangent, but it's uh this this theme is repeated in a lot of pop culture, a lot of stories that there's that guy that no one expects, you know, the you know, we see it in Star Wars, the mm-hmm. farm boy from nowhere who mm-hmm. um and we see it and even like 
the even legend. in Star Trek. In Star Trek, <laughs> yeah, we see that. Um, which one are you thinking? I'm about thinking Captain Trek? Kirk. He, you know, he's out in the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah, the, the farm boy from Iowa. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah, there's there's that. Uh, the uh, and actually the, the the Legend of Zelda, the Skyward Sword, has it where where of course the, you knew that. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's I mean it's in the video games. It's, it's everywhere that there's the the you know the the main character is treated like you know he's mm-hmm. not going to be any good because he's known for being lazy he's always sleeping in he's all, you know <laughs> all these things and you know so it's I, I just i think it's interesting that's that we see this theme repeated over and over everywhere it's human nature i mean and, and that's the thing we we see it repeated everywhere because that's how it happens in real life mm-hmm. And it happens this way because human beings have always been human beings. And we all have the same kind of tendencies to behave in certain ways. Right. I mean, uh, King Arthur. I mean, there's another great example of that story. You know, who was he? What, why was mm-hmm. he special? Mm-hmm. And all of these things come into play because human beings don't tend to change our, our nature and our way of viewing things. And that's one of the reasons why the Bible stories are so effective at teaching lessons is because they are all something we can relate to. Right. And I think we forget that we can relate to them on certain levels. Usually we try to relate with the wrong character in the story. We want to be the hero. Uh, well, the only hero in the Bible is Jesus and God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not them. Start looking at the other ones who are flawed because they're going to reflect humanity more accurately. Sure. And that includes myself. I'm not throwing stones. So, um, but yeah, I, I think the thing is with Eliab here, he's actually doing some projection. And I think that's the second question we have to ask is how much projecting is Eliab doing on David? I mean, he says David's there just to see the battle. Well, what, what's Eliab doing? He's not participating in the battle. <laughs> he's just watching. And he, he knows that God has um, chosen David, and I think he may have an idea that maybe David might actually be up, with, up for it. And, you know, Eliab has a heart problem. God's already told, this, told us this previously. And it's interesting that he uses the word presumption here, that this is the, your, I know the presumption and the evil in your heart. Mm-hmm. Now, th- this is not the same Hebrew word that um, Saul, used, I mean Samuel, used with Saul, that okay. you know, rebellion is as witchcraft, and mm-hmm. in that pronouncement, but it's the same idea, and so it's interesting that Eliab actually accuses David of having the flaw that Saul has that excluded him from the kingship, when it's actually Eliab who is doing the exact same thing that Saul is doing in this moment. Yeah, and that's a very human thing to do too. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I don't have a problem. You're, you've got the problem, and, and we're going to look and see what everybody else's stuff is, and we aren't going to actually go, wait a minute, what's wrong with me? Sure. Because sure. if Eliab, I think any of the warriors, any of these, these guys who made their living off the land, who survived these very harsh conditions, and if they would have had the faith that they, that they should have had, if they had stopped and looked at their own behavior— and not look to Saul for an example and, or a command, you know, they would have said, hey, what are we doing? What, what's going on? But because it was the enemy that said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. They're, they're like, oh, we have every right to do this. Right. And this is why we have to be careful when we go up against, quote unquote, an enemy and say, you know, what are you doing? Are we going to drive them further into their toxic behaviors or are we going to help draw them out? So we, we need to find a better approach. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm saying. So, um, little psychology there, but anyway. But the bottom line here is doing what Father tells you to do doesn't always make you popular, right? <laughs> I mean, fair enough. And I, I, I still think that's true today. And so, you know, Eliab, he's drawing these conclusions on the these outward uh, appearances, and he's looking at circumstance that he's saying, "Oh, well." I know what's going on, but we, we are obviously shown that Eliab does not understand David's heart as well as he pretends to. Sure. So, um, verses 29 and 30, David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke to this in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. So what have I done now? It sounds like David is used to Eliab going off about mm-hmm. something. I, this, is, this is real life talk. 
And, and well, I, I, I think of it not so much as like, what have I done now? It's like, well, what, what have I done? What have I done now? Like, like, what's this? I, I didn't actually do anything. That's I, pretty much what he says. Was it? But not a word. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not doing much. This is, and, and that phrase there, it's a, it's an idiom. Idioms are hard to translate. Sure. And so most translations are going to have this translated uh, differently. They, they might say, I was just talking. Can I ask a question? We need to be talking about this important matter. So you, you kind of get the sense that David's like, this is standard operating procedure. This mm-hmm. is what we should be doing. Why are you mad at me for doing what needs to be done? Right. And so, but that takes a lot more words to put on the page. <laughs> so, but that's. That's the problem with trying to to translate idioms. It's how do you capture an idea that's rooted in a lot of cultural baggage? Oh yeah, and yeah, that's hard. A whole bunch of I, yeah, we could go off <laughs> on crazy idioms, but we'll, we'll do that another time. <laughs> yeah, we, I'm sure we'll have another opportunity. Uh, but you know, David's not dissuaded, and he he continues and, and he pushes and he keeps going around to more people. He's still working the crowd. Eliab tried to, to get him to calm down and shut up. And probably the main reason is David's pointing out how much of a failure Eliab is without actually saying it. Right. You know, he's because, yeah, you know, the, yeah, basically, hey, you guys aren't doing your job. Well, Eliab happens to be in that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. And, you know, y- you don't want a younger sibling telling you that you're screwed up the situation and I, I, that's just too humiliating yeah. as an older sibling i know you have no idea i've, I've never had to deal with that. <laughs> so oh uh, yeah well we won't go into our family baggage but anyway <laughs> but i also think there's another thing now this is my personal view and i could be completely off here but i think david is a verbal processor i i think he's somebody who needs to talk it through whether he's talking it through with other people, he's talking it through to God in a psalm. I was about to say, you think he's a verbal uh, yeah. process? <laughs> flipping open his psalms. You think he's a verbal process? I do. I, I do. <laughs> and, I, and I think he's kind of just, he's getting the feel for the situation while he's working through what he's witnessing. He, he's not content just to make a snap judgment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And which, by the way, that's a characteristic of a good leader. Right. And so... He he is fully aware that he's the one who's going to replace Saul, and he's got all of these things on his mind, because if these chapters are, are in the correct order, and this is kind of where I, I started with this presumption when I was looking there, um, if, he, if the chapters have not been flipped, then he knows Saul better than anyone at this point. Fair enough. He is a prophet who lives pretty much in Saul's courts. Mm-hmm. And so marrying into a family plagued by evil spirits from God might not be a smart move. But mm. marrying into a family that gets you closer to the throne, which God has promised you, might be a smart move. Marrying into the family might be seen as trying to help God out and manipulating a situation, which is Saul's disqualifying flaw, one of them. So might not be the smart thing to do. But then you got this giant who's saying all the things that he shouldn't be saying Mm -hmm. about the God of Israel. So David's in a really conflicted situation. And you know, the tensions there, this isn't as simple as just going out and, and walking up and, and killing the giant. He had to go through all the options. And I think because David is David, mm-hmm. he had to work through this systematically and he had to process through. And I think he's someone who can hold all those things in tension in his mind. And I think that's one of the reasons we aren't told what he was thinking because it he, would have... He's just going to say it. <laughs> well, he, he, he will eventually, but David is not somebody who, who gives away his game plan. He, he is somebody, he holds his cards kind of close to his chest. And so I think if we were told everything David was thinking, we wouldn't just have the book of Psalms, we'd have the encyclopedia of Psalms. Sure. And so, you know, God had to be a little selective. And, and I do see uh, evidence within Scripture that David's got this very unique mind 
that that does process things both within the spiritual reality and the the tangible consequences of his decisions, but he also has to weigh that against the spiritual truths and what he knows the the implications of his acts are going to lead to in that realm. And that's a lot to balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of us, you know, have a hard time choosing what color socks to wear. Uh, and David is, he's facing not just life and death situations for himself, he's facing life and death situations for an entire nation, even before he has the authority or the power to really follow through on what those uh, decisions might lead to. Sure. And that's a lot. I mean, that picture any 17, 18 year old boy you know and try to think of them bearing that weight. And so that's, that's a lot. Yeah, um, I'm, I, there are some. There are some that I think could could do it. Oh, I, I have no doubt. I mean, we can look back in history and we can see lots of young leaders who, who make some really great moves and, and are smarter than their elders. Sure. And, uh, you know, I never want to discount the youth, but I, I think sometimes we forget, uh, you know, I go to the doctor these days and I'm like, I don't need a kid. I need a doctor. <laughs> Doctors right. are supposed to be older than me. I know. I know. <laughs> but, they do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm grateful for them. Uh, but it's still just, it's weird hitting that age. I just have to say. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting there. There, there was one time I was like, are you sure you're supposed to be, <laughs> you sure you're supposed to be here by yourself? Yeah. Like, um, no, kudos to them uh, yeah. for doing it. Um, We're just getting old. That's what that's, we're saying. That's the problem, <laughs> and you need to get off my lawn. Um, so verse 31 and 32. Uh, so Saul, Saul hears what David's doing, and uh, he has David brought to him, and David initiates the conversation. And we might lose sight of the fact that this is a total breach of protocol David should not speak first. Saul should speak first. And David, it's, he, he says this very diplomatic thing. He said, let no man's heart fail because of him and him being Goliath. Um, he, he doesn't say, hey, Saul, why are you scared of this guy? Right. Uh, you know, he, he, he gives this very poetic, soothing, comforting um, statement to this king which, if he has been in the courts, makes total sense because he knows that making Saul mad is not going to help the situation. He's probably had firsthand experience with that at this point. Mm. So, um, but if you re- remember that David is the true king, now, uh, oh, okay, yeah, he, he should start the conversation. And, you know, there's a boldness in, in David that just really can't be uh, contained. But at the same time, it's, he knows how to, to make sure that that boldness doesn't close the door before he has a chance to get where he's going. Right. Because right. his next statement is, your servant will go and fight the Philistines. Your servant. I look at, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be who, who Goliath has said I am. Right. I will play the part if I need to, um, sorry, I got a little excited there. Uh, a loud. loud. <laughs> yeah, I'll be that person if, You'll you let me, and if it gets me to where I think I need to go, yeah. And so you know he's not above um, manipulating and playing the system to get what he thinks he needs. So, verse thirty three. And Saul said to David, "You were not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth." So this should have ended the conversation. Uh, David's been given an answer. At this point, he should bow, do a little scraping, and, and, and leave. Mm-hmm. But David just, he, he doesn't care, even though he's been given these, you know, legitimate reasons. Yeah. Um, and I love what he says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. <laughs> right, like it was, yes, exactly. There was this one time long ago. So it, it's funny because... Actually, uh, I was listening to, I was hanging out with my friends and we were listening to a song that was, it was written by somebody who was like real young, like they're, you know, and it was, the person was like 18 or 19, one Mm -hmm. of those singers. And uh, he's like, 
I always, it, it, I forget what the line was, but he's like, I always think it's really funny whenever really young musicians talk about the days when they were younger. And you're like, how many of those did you have now? <laughs> so, um, that's kind of what it reminds me of. Your future was destroyed at 12. How many times? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, but this, I mean, David, I think there's something to the fact that I used to keep the sheep. It's almost like he knows that this is the moment that it, it, that's gone. Right. And so he's going to be taking on this, this whole new identity. And, you know, and the reason for, for Saul rejecting him is in the Torah. It's in Numbers uh, 1-3 and then 26-2. Twice we're told that David shouldn't be allowed out there because he's too young. Mm -hmm. he's, he's not supposed to be on the battlefield. This is God's protection at play. And for David to step out there on that battlefield is technically a breach of the Torah. And so for David to, to say this and go, I can go against God's specific written commandment, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And that should trouble us because we tend to think that, you know, if someone breaks God's word, then they're a horrible person. But, you, you know, we see this as a foreshadowing, because even in Jesus' own ministry, when he's healing on the Sabbath and the, the Pharisees are mad, you know, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to take care of what needs to be taken care of mm -hmm. if it's going to advance the kingdom. Right. Well, it's, it's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And, and I don't, I know you, you've mentioned, I think we've mentioned this before, but you know, you can, the, the rabbis said, hey, you can suspend any mm -hmm. of the Torah except for what, murder and idolatry, mm -hmm. if it's for the sake of saving lives. Yeah, and this is what this is what David and, and Jesus both understand is that if the letter of the law violates the spirit of the law, then you need to be operating with love, compassion, mercy, doing things that bring life. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the Torah is to separate those things that bring death and those things that bring life. And if you can remember that, then you don't have to know the specific law. You just have to know what brings life. Mm -hmm. And so you know, this is the reason why Jesus fulfills the law, because he brings life. He defeated death. He separated himself from death so completely by destroying death and the power of it so that we as believers can now live. And, you know, as Hebrews said, you know, we read last week, he tasted death for everyone. Now mm -hmm. it's done. And so um, this is, this, this statement by David it is, you know, it's inspired because there's not many biblical characters, even the great ones, who stand up and go, we're going to put the Torah aside in order to save, uh, right. save life. And he reminds Saul again of the living God. He uses the, this, um, this title again, speaking to the king. So we're going to move into a long passage. Uh, I'm going to read it. Well, go ahead. Did, did we... Did you, we touch on the, the, you know, and when there was a, there came a lion, or are we getting ready? We're to getting go? ready to go into okay. that. Because I'm, this is very curious to me. <laughs> this so. is, this is fun. And this is the reason why we're going to read the whole thing. Uh, I don't trust my transcription skills here. I don't either. Uh, <laughs> um, we're going to be perfectly honest. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just wisdom. Uh, let me, okay, there we go. We're going to get you a bookmark and some sticky tabs. I need a large print Bible, but, you know, we're, we're at the point where this Bible's getting ready to give up the ghost anyway, so we're going to squeeze a few more months out of it probably. Anyway, uh, your servant used to tend his father's flock and keep sheep for his father, and when there was a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. But David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So, a lot of fun stuff going on there. So that, that, that's interesting to me, because, I mean, think about striking a lion or a bear. It, yeah. Like going after a lion or a bear. And with 
I mean, and he's not saying that he went with a slingshot. He's saying he, he went struck. Yeah. Him. Yeah. This is a hands-on battle with him. And it's, it's not some kind of, uh, you know, he's not using a gun. You know, if I'm going to have to go out and face lion and bears, I'm taking the biggest gun I can find. Sure. And <laughs> which, you know, it's funny because, you know, the, he's described as ruddy. And, and, and to me, it's like some, some of, and I imagine if he's not, he's not described as tall. Some of the like scrappiest, <laughs> right? Like toughest fighting people who like to fight. I'm thinking of my daughter right now. <laughs> oh, I wasn't thinking of no. Well, yeah, but her too. But some of them are, are these skinny, little, little wiry, <laughs> skinny little redhead dudes. <laughs> and I, I know that sounds weird. And I don't mean to single anyone out, but almost stereotypical. No, there. almost every one of them who's like every every almost every guy I know who's short and like. No, I with, I have a few in my hair, life. <laughs> I, I, they have they have been like those are the guys who like to go to the bar and get in a fight. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm imagining here with David. <laughs> I should clarify, my daughter's not going to bars to get in a fight. She just goes and wrestles horses because she's got to get all of that out somehow. Yeah. So, I, but yeah. So, I mean, and I'm not trying to offend anyone. I mean, <laughs> I, some of the nicest people I know have been redheaded people oh, as well. Love, yeah, no. Sometimes they're the same people. person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most of the time they're the same people. Yeah, they're the nicest people you know, but they just like to fight. I, yeah. I've never understood the desire <laughs> to just like get in a fist fight. I, I don't know. Whatever. Carry on. Uh, I played the fifth. So, uh, yeah, no, he recognizes, I, I think one of the things about David, he, he recognizes uh, he's the primary actor in his speech. And he's talking about, I struck the lion. I, you know, I did all of this stuff. But then he turns around and he backtracks and he says, but God delivered me. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he's reckoning, recognizing that, that duality that's going on in the world he lives in. He, he's very much... The person who says, this is the real, concrete, tangible, physical world that could kill me, but here's the truth of the spiritual world, which I also equally inhabit. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the, that's one of the defining characteristics of David, is the fact that he can hold those things in tension. And I know I keep going back to that, but I mean, we have got to get in that mindset as, scripture, uh, as, sorry, as Christians, that we've got to hold those two realities firmly in place within our minds Mm -hmm. and that's what makes us powerful in this life and effective in this life because we're engaging with that living god that god of the living that david keeps talking about he talked about first to the armies now he's talking about with saul and he he's reminding people if you are not identifying yourself as being created in the image of this god you are not going to be as effective as you should be because you aren't connected to the effective god Mm -hmm. And so I, I think sometimes we forget that this really isn't about one young boy's courage. This really is about faith. Mm-hmm. And, and we, put the, we put the emphasis on the wrong attribute. I'm not saying that he's not courageous, but he's courageous because he had faith. Right. And he's not, yeah. So it's, it's not that, you know. He had courage and he became faithful. That's not how it works. So if you want to be, you know, if you want to be courageous, then you need to work on your faith life. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking to us too. So. Um, Agree. He, he's, the key word in, in, in this passage is deliver. And he, he uses it several times. Um, you know, he delivers the, the, the lamb, the the sheep that was taken from the flock from the mouth of the, the lamb, a uh, mouth of the bear. Uh, God delivers David from the paw of the lion and, and the bear. And now God is going to deliver this Philistine into David's hand. Three times he uses the word hand and three times he uses the word deliver. So we've got this, we already, we're starting to see that poetry is starting to come from David. The poetry? Poetry. Okay. It sounded funny. I, I, I think it, it yeah, I think my tongue got stuck behind my teeth. Um, so. so yeah, but no, but we're seeing we're seeing the poetry starting to, to come from David. And because that repetition is part of 
Hebrew it's just, poetry. It's just how he talks and thinks. <laughs> yeah, no, this yeah, this is part of him. It's an innate part of of his of his being, and and we miss it in the English because English translators bless their hearts. They don't like repetition. They think that American English readers are going to get bored. But the thing is, these repetitions they build and they're they're put there for a reason. Right. So you have. Not just the the hand, uh, you know, the, the Philistines can be delivered into the hand of David. You have David was delivered from the hand of the lion, the hand of the bear. That that word should be there all three times, so that you can have deliver three times, hand three times, and you can get that sense of poetry, which okay. is now missing because English translators. Uh, and we're going to stop that sentence there. Okay. So, uh, but he he's using this repetitive flow. If you talk to people who do persuasive speech, mm-hmm. that repetition lulls your listener. It, it allows them to to kind of get in line with what you're saying, and it's almost hypnotic in a sense. And oh yeah, well, in, in that in that technique, and what's funny is like after you after you kind of spot that technique, mm-hmm. you you it really kind of grates on you. <laughs> right? To be honest. I had I had someone uh, recommend a book to me once because they because they do it a lot in the writing too, particularly mm-hmm. people who are used to doing persuasive speech. And I can't remember what the name of the book was, but I do remember that this guy shoehorned the title in <laughs> almost every single paragraph, and I was just like going, "Man, you, I I get your theme." <laughs> But just let's try not to, you know, let's, let's branch out a little bit. Let's, let's try not just repeating the title. Let's actually expand on the idea. Right. I made it about three chapters into it before I was like, I don't think he's gonna. So, um, well, some things aren't worth wasting your time with. But, you know, if David had been in Saul's courts by this point, then he would have known what worked with Saul. He would have known what would, you know, overcome Saul's objections, even whenever Saul was in the worst mood possible. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why I do lean against it being flipped. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there's also great arguments on the other side of that um, about the two chapters being flipped. And he, he was very good at, at keeping Saul calm. And, mm-hmm. and you know, his, his job would have grown from just calming down Saul by, you know, getting the, the, the spiritual atmosphere correct in the palace. But he would have seen how Saul responded to people who came to talk to him. Mm-hmm. He would have known how Saul responded to his generals who said, hey, you know, you said do this, but, you know, we didn't account for the enemy coming in, you know, mm-hmm. all of the things that a king would have had to have done. And, and David seems to be like a very sharp person who's noticing all the things going on around him. So uh, you, you have to... I think one of the things when we don't consider the personality and, and the, the, the way that the two layers are playing out in David's speech, even here, I think we're going to miss some things in, in future stories. And so we're going to actually see there's a third element within David's personality when we get over into chapter 18. And um, so, because right now we still want to see him as a hero. And this mm-hmm. is probably one of the kindest chapters that, that Samuel has about David, because the rest of the book, the 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 writer's going to take off on all of David's character defects and his flaws, and he's going to remind us this guy's very very human. This institution of the kingship, I mean, it's still not a good idea. Um, I'm accepting it because God ordained it, but it's I don't like it, which is one of the reasons why people think Samuel wrote the book. Um, of course, we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Probably not, maybe part, but not the totality. So, I'm pretty sure he didn't write about the stuff after he died. That'd he be pretty impressive. I was getting ready to say that'd make him a fabulous prophet. It would. It would indeed. <laughs> so, but the final point about David's speech here, through this entire chapter, no one has used the divine name of God, the, the Tetragrammaton. Nobody has said Yahweh. And sure. he, he concludes his speech by de- it's declaring it's Yahweh who will deliver the, the Philistine into his hand. And so, you know, Goliath had referred to the, the armies of Israel as servants of Saul. 
And so David, by using this, is really kind of reminding Saul, hey, you aren't in charge either, because when does Yahweh reveal his name to the nation? It's at the Exodus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if they're going to be free of Saul, free of being in bondage to Saul, Yahweh has to show up. It, it can't be anyone else. And Yahweh is going to show up, and he's going to show up when David reminds the people, hey, you need to welcome him back, right. and you need to have the faith to, to follow him. And um, so he's also reminding Saul, uh, Saul that uh, Goliath isn't just speaking against the armies of Israel. He's, spe- he's speaking against God. And so now that David has brought the fo- proper focus to the situation, Saul can now see this as a battle between God and the gods. Mm-hmm. And that's when Saul echoes David's words, go and the Lord be with you, Yahweh be with you. Right. And, you know, I have to wonder, what did it cost Saul to say that? Because to, he's blessing David with the one thing he can't have. Mm-hmm. The, the Spirit of the Lord has departed from him, and he, he's saying, but I know you need this in order to do what you, you said you're, you're going to do. You know, and I do think, as much as we harp on how bad Saul was at times, I think he had some moments of clarity. He's a pathetic character. He's a very—you want to pity him. Yeah. By, and, by the end. Yeah, because I do think there is this point where he's like, you know, God is the one who delivers, and he mm-hmm. recognized and I think there is that point where he's like, okay, yeah, you do this. And, and, and he kind of comes around, and, and in that moment, mm-hmm. he, he's there. Yeah. But I, I think, he's, uh, I, I think he's, he does have his moments of clarity. Well, and, and he knew what he had been able to accomplish when he had the Spirit of the Lord. He, sure. He, he, he understood that completely. He probably understood that better than, than anybody else. And so to see that in David and to understand that, that and again, if David was with Saul in the court before this, then this is a reality that he knew that David had the Spirit of the Lord because it's the Spirit of the Lord that, that David invites in and, and manifests through his music that drives the, the evil spirit back so that mm-hmm. Saul can have some peace. Right. So Saul knew what kind of person David was, even though there seems to be some confusion in the text. We're going to talk about you know why Saul has to keep being told who David is, um, because that does happen. But you know, it's also, I think there's a little twist of the knife here too, because David's attitude is so similar to Jonathan's before Jonathan goes to confront the Philistines. And that, that really got me to thinking about where was Jonathan during this time? Because mm-hmm. he's the hero of the people. He, he's mm-hmm. already stood up against the Philistines. And when... The, when uh, and Saul. And Saul, it, it, precisely. And that's the thing. I mean, the people that had redeemed Jonathan whenever Saul was going to kill him. And so you have to ask, or at least I do, I mean, I'm compelled to, because where is Jonathan? Is he laid up with an injury? Is, did, did Saul refuse to let him fight? Is Saul just okay possibly sacrificing someone else's son as opposed to his own? Right. Uh, you know, th- there's so many things that the Bible doesn't tell us. And, you know, bottom line we have to be okay with what the scripture tells us on this situation. And it is the mechanism through which David's going to gain the prestige and the following of the people so that he can ascend to the throne later. But at the same time, there really, really is the, this, um, it's, it's troubling that nobody else is there. And, you know, I had to, to, when I started going through that, then I had to ask, where's Samuel? Why isn't the prophet of the Lord out there reminding that the people who they are and telling them, hey, you know, this is, this is who you are. You're an army of God. Mm-hmm. You need to be standing up. You need to fight God's enemies. You need to take over the, the land that God has given you. Samuel's quiet. I mean, I, I think kind of there's this point in, the, in previous chapters, because we've almost forgotten that Samuel was part of the story. Sure. Uh, where Samuel's kind of like, I'm just done. <laughs> and so, and 
I think we have to accept that God did orchestrate the events as they happened. Um, it, it's okay, but at the same time, it does. It, there's just a lot of questions. Yeah, this is not a a nicely tied up story. It's it's a big mess, mm-hmm. and I know that bothers a lot of people because you know they want the Bible to to have this nice clean flow, and we want all the loose ends tied up, and we don't want any kind of you know gaps in the stories, like I just pointed out, but. Seriously, this is a story about real people, and that's why you have these gaps. And sure. that, that proves, I think, in, on some level, the historicity of these, these moments. Mm-hmm. I, I think if it was too nicely wound up and packaged, then, then there's, that would be evidence that it was you know, something that was plotted out and it was carefully uh, conceived of by some writer who happened to just be a great writer. Yeah. And, you know, and the writer of, Saul, uh, of Samuel really is a... Uh, is a great writer. I, I'm not debating that. But when you're dealing with real human beings, real human beings don't behave like actors in a play. And right. So <laughs> despite what you saw between the offertory and the sermon <laughs> that one Sunday, um, the Bible was not scripted like this. Nobody hit their spot. And <laughs> nobody had to step into the light just right. Yeah, <laughs> it, that, that's not how it works. And, and that should be good news because I think so often we look at our own life and go, man, this is a big mess and God can't do anything with it. And it's like, no, no, here's the evidence. Mm-hmm. God takes big messes and turns them into something amazing all the time. Yeah. So, uh, but Verses 38 and 39, uh, this is when Saul decides that he's going to give David his armor. Now, this is a really interesting event. Uh, The whole thing is just kind of crazy because uh, he gives David a helmet of bronze, a coat of mail, a sword. you know, and, and we, we know the story. David can't move. It's all too big. And, and he, he couldn't move because he had not tested them, as you pointed out mm-hmm. uh, in the last episode. And so he, he puts the armor away and, and decides not to use it. Now, this armor would have been common for the day. We're, we're pretty familiar with what it looks like. We've got enough archaeological evidence. We, mm-hmm. we, you know, we don't have Saul's armor, but we've got enough. Yeah, we have we we could reconstruct it. Yeah. Pretty much. And it's interesting to me that two of the items are exactly the same as Goliath's. Sure. So I the fact that the that the the writer includes that that tells us a little bit about Goliath that he is an honored warrior or else he wouldn't have this kind of of armor. Right. That, you know, and that Saul is somebody very much resembling their enemy. Israel's own enemy looks like Saul. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're both giants, they're both wearing the same kind of armor, and they both defy God. This tells you what the condition of Israel is. Right, right. And if you don't, you know, you got to make those connections. And this is why we read carefully and we look at where the writer is making these connections. So, you know, and the, the scene is really highly reminiscent of when um, Samuel goes to consecrate Jesse's sons, because he goes and oversees their, their washing and their clothing. And you know, this is mm-hmm. when, mm-hmm. when David is going to be appointed to king. And you know, each time, David doesn't fit. He, he's not included in the invitation to the, to the sacrifice. He, he, there's no record or evidence that he was consecrated like the other brothers. Mm-hmm. And, and here, David consciously makes the point to say, this doesn't fit me. I don't belong in the accepted standard of, you know, ways of accomplishing anything. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm somebody different. And so I, I think there's something to that. But you know, remember, this is a book of outsiders. This is Samuel. We open with the outsider. We've got Hannah, the ultimate outsider. And then Samuel, who's going to be another outsider. And so now we've got David. And David, who is the epitome of everything great and wonderful about Israel, but does not fit. And, you know, again, I think that's encouraging because so often most of my best Christian friends out there, the biggest complaint I hear from them, I don't fit in any of the churches where I'm at. Right. I mean, yeah. and I'm not saying that's a reason not to participate in a church. But that's, that is something that I see that's a common thread. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we need to be surrounded by a community of believers. And I, guys, okay, I'm guilty of this too, because there, I just moved. Well, I say just moved. It, it months has slid by with the COVID and everything else. And, right. and What's I had time. time. It's a human construct. <laughs> anyway, uh, we want to go there. Uh, but, you know, I, I just got to the point where I'm like, okay, it's time for me to accept that my home church was too far to drive back to. Mm. And I'm going to need to look for a church in the area. And I put it off and I put it off. And then we've been on months of lockdown. And well, I mean, it can be exhausting. I mean, to be, to be honest, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's awful. Finding a new church is, is exhausting. It, yeah, it's so hard. I hate it. I, I, I mean, I, so for any of y'all out there who think, oh, well, you know, it, it, y'all probably just go to a church and they're just happy to have, no, uh, I don't know any of my friends that I consider to be, you know, this sounds bad, but like upper level Christians, you know, like people who really take their, their, their faith seriously. I don't know any of them who've had like just a, a great, oh, I just stumbled across the first church I came to and I just fit and they loved me. And, uh, and so, uh, if you're part of a church, Work on making it better so that we can feel better when we come in. Uh, <laughs> if you're not part of a church, <laughs> that sounded really brazen. That, I, that's not for not not for me and Emily specifically. No, yeah, <laughs> no, that's but, for anyone. <laughs> but for for the the crazy uh, argumentative theolo- theology uh, junkie, yeah. They, yeah, <laughs> they need love too, guys. <laughs> uh, we do, we do, because we're, we're incredibly insecure, and you know, our egos are fragile. Uh, I started to say a name a name and say except for him, but uh, anyway, that's <laughs> we won't go there. And it was a friend who would have gotten the joke, by the way. So, uh, but the uh, yeah, but if you aren't part of a church and you are one of us misfits, um, we're not exempt from the call to be a part of a body and. We're just going to have to just get over ourselves. And because sometimes it's not about us, mm-hmm. it's about being there. And, you know, who knows who you're going to help and help. You might be the one who helps the church become better at receiving the misfits. Yeah. So we've got to be doing our parts. And, you know, it's going to hurt both ways. Just get over it. Yeah. Uh, do it. Uh, and like I said, I'm talking to myself as well because I. I know when the churches get open back up, I'm going to have to get back out there and, and start looking. And yeah, I dread that. I really, really do. I dread it. So I'm just being honest. Um, well, and part of it, part of it is we, we both lean a little bit introvert. <laughs> just, just a little bit. <laughs> so just a little bit. Yeah. But the funny thing is I'm actually, my prevalent is extrovert, but I've got really high introvert tendencies. So you know, Conflict yeah. galore. I, well, on the, uh, the Myers Briggs, um, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm like barely in the E camp. What is yours, by the way? I found it the other night, but I can't remember what it is. Well, we'll look it up. That's that's not important right now. Okay, we'll uh, talk about that sure. after the show. All right, but okay. So yeah, David David doesn't fit the royal battle regalia, and so he is definitely not going to be a king like all the other nations. This is our first tip off that he's going to be something completely different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he is this whole situation when, when Saul dresses him as the king, there's something very symbolic about that of Saul saying, you're worthy mm-hmm. to be the king. In the fact that you're worthy to wear the king's king's armor. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been some people who've read some nefarious things in here that possibly Saul was trying to make David look like Saul, so that when the giant was killed, Saul could take credit for it. Um, no, that wouldn't be surprising. Not at all. The, uh, and the thing that I, the thing that, and this is one of those. I'm going to do the, you know, probably going to pull out an object lesson that we're not supposed to have here, but. <laughs> Whenever I read this, I look at this and I go, this is one of those areas where when God calls somebody for their gifts and their abilities, mm-hmm. we, the church needs to stop trying to make, them into, make their gifts and abilities into a carbon copy of their own ministry. Mm-hmm. I've been in a lot of places, and 
I'm, this is my my tangents. <laughs> I've been in a lot of places where they, you know, I. This is not. This is going to be good. I, Go I, for I, it. I'm, I'm trying not to to get too too crazy with it, but I, you know, I've been I've been to a lot of churches. Mickey and I, we when we first got married and moved to Norman, we actually literally went through the phone book. Um, trying to find places that was quite an adventure. I could, I would love to do that again and write a a whole series of, oh, you of books and write ups. I, I got to wait till the kids are older. I can't just jump them around every Sunday no, to someplace new. Um, Quit being a responsible parent. I know. I want my girls to be well adjusted. It's um, too late. <laughs> ish. Um, so the uh, yeah, but uh, we're. I'm I'm not your typical you know khakis and polo shirt type person. Really? If you, <laughs> if you couldn't have guessed, um, guys, he categorizes his black shirts. <laughs> well, I, no, I've I've branched out into some different colors and like stuff. Gray? <laughs> yeah, like I have gray. I have a couple. I have some green ones. Um, but I've got, uh, you know, I I just for years I always wore just black shirts just because they were, you know, it was easy. I didn't have to match anything, and. I oftentimes get to churches. Also, you can't tell because I've got headphones on, but I do have earrings and a few tattoos. Yeah, my hair used to be really long, and the a lot of churches I would I would go to. It, it was weird because I, I'm not your. It's just part of it's my personality too, and I'm not saying that excuses everything. But I always felt like people thought I was going to be a great addition to the team, and I feel like I can be, and I often am. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> just not as the poster boy. But I'm just, I, I oftentimes feel like I felt like I was treated in, a, in some different areas. Like I had just found Jesus on my way to church <laughs> every week because I wasn't the person who, I, I, I didn't form fit the caricature model mm-hmm. of like the worship leader person. Right. And... Again, this is kind of my own baggage. You mean you don't have a fish tattoo among those collections? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I mean, I have a Celtic cross, and uh, I have, have a lion of St. Mark um, on my leg. That's, but we'll put pics of that in the paddle store. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the, you know, it's, I feel like I'm gifted in certain areas, and there's been some places where I really have had a chance to thrive in those and been able to grow into those. But there's also been some places where I've been for an amount of time, and I feel like if I don't if I don't start bending into what the pastor or the other mm-hmm. worship leaders think I need to to be, mm-hmm. then it then they start edging me out, right? And it's not that, and it's not that I'm a hard person to work with, even. No, we work together. I mean, fine. I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> but. I, I oftentimes it's just I feel like they try to take what I'm good at and shoehorn it into a different type of program than right. what I'm called to do. Right. And, and you've worked with those programs and I think I want to point that out. Yeah, and you've, I and I've done my best to yeah, mm-hmm. to 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 work with it and and improve and you know and be respectful to the leadership because I'm not I'm not one of those people who just walks into some place and says, Oh, we need to change everything. Right. But I do see in this story that David shows up. What's his talent? Apparently killing bears and lions with his bare hands. Right. And then someone gives him armor that he's not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they say, this is how you need to do it. And he's saying, no. Right. I'm tra- I know how to handle this, and the tools you're giving me are holding me back. Yeah. Because they're not the tools I trained with. They're not what what I have been using. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not to, not saying you should never grow. I'm not saying you should never learn new things because I have learned all kinds of new things working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, because I, I do some, every now and then I do fill-ins for different worship mm-hmm. leaders in this area. Play, uh, I generally play bass or guitar, just fill-in. And I've learned a lot going into those programs and going and, and saying, okay, how is it you do it here? Right. And it's always great whenever I can learn something from that. But in the, in the situations I'm talking about are when they try to, to take away <laughs> where my, they, they, they try to 
it, it, it's I don't know. I'm, it sounds really arrogant the way I'm saying it. <laughs> no, it but doesn't. just kind of bogs down the way that I know how things could and should be done in some areas, if that makes sense. Well, okay. So an, an example of that would be um, you're a cute little gal, and you can't possibly know as much about the not Bible. Me. Not you, you, but me. Yeah, no. Th- I'm, this has been said to you by other people. <laughs> well, not explicitly. I will give people credit for having enough tact not to actually say it out loud. But, you know, but the attitude is, well, you're a cute little gal. And so you you couldn't possibly know as much about the Bible as I do because I watch YouTube videos. Right. And right. so um, it, it's so funny that we're making a YouTube video while we're saying that. But <laughs> at the same time, that that's one of the things. Yes, there, there's this idea that if you don't look and act a certain way, then you either are inexperienced or you're too young or you don't have the right credentials or you know people are always shocked when they find out you know if they haven't discovered me through this that oh wait a minute you you read Hebrew and Greek how Mm -hmm. weird is that and and it's because that's not the first thing I'm going to approach you with I mean you know hi my name's Emily let me tell you about what I know about the Bible I'm going to be a real person with you first and let people get to know me and sometimes that's really hard in a church because, you know, we've made the joke that, you know, our dad was a sailor and our mom's a Southern Baptist preacher's daughter. So we're the most conflicted people you'll ever meet. And, um, you know, I sometimes tell people I don't know whether to tell them a dirty joke or pray for them. Uh, sometimes I'll do both. But the, the, the fact that we can, our, one of our giftings is we, we, we cross those lines. And because we can cross those lines and live in both worlds, and we don't have to participate in all of it, but we can, people are okay when we're there. Um, I, I think that kind of throws people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yeah, yeah that we're, we're not offended hanging out with the people who are, you know, telling the bar jokes and what have you. And, yeah. and then we're, we're it, but we still love to worship with our, <laughs> with our friends at church. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. And, and so. I know I, I, part of bringing this up, and I know we didn't plan on bringing it up, but I think part of bringing this up, we're not alone. And there, there's a whole group of people who are out there that want to be good followers of God and Jesus, who, who want to pursue God in their life, mm-hmm. and they don't feel like they fit, and they think that disqualifies them from being a part of a covenant community or it just qualifies them even from experiencing God in their life. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as much as we try not to talk about ourselves too much, um, you know, sometimes t- sharing our story and just letting people know, Hey, we've been there. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've been there and we know so many other people who have been there. And that means there's a lot more out there because we aren't mm-hmm. just discovering the only handful few in the whole world. Right. We're, we're seeing a, a larger trend at work here and it's been growing. And I think, you know, we've been aware of it, what, since our twenties. Oh yeah. And you know, maybe even the teen years for you. Um, but really seeing that. And I think the trend is on an upward, upward spiral. And, uh, I, and I do mean spiral, like it is spiraling out of control. Oh, yeah. And we need to be addressing this as believers. And, and I'm still, you know, we're still working on how, how do we address that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we've been, before all this, we were having dinners here with, with different believers and just getting together and talking mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. building those friendships. So uh, I know we got like way off of David with this, yeah, but I, sorry. Th- I just, <laughs> no, it's, I think it's good. I just wanted to throw that out, but yeah, I mean, it still, it still kind of relates because we're, you know, it is about the being put in a position Mm -hmm. to do things that God didn't call it. God didn't call you or train you to do it in that way. Or or being informed that if you're going to fulfill this position, then you need to look like this. Right. And that's not the case because God, you know, God did give us these inherent gifts and, and our own unique personality. I mean, we're creating, okay. One of my favorite things if we're all created in the image of God, think of how each of us must reflect some aspect of God and how mm-hmm. infinite he is. And I'm not like, I mean, I think there's something very specific and unique to each of us that reflects God in a way that no other person can. 
Right. And so when you look around, you know, your family, your friends, and you think about that and, and how infinite is God in his being, in the totality of his being, just based on the people you know, mm-hmm. and then extrapolate from there. And I, I think that's that's pretty amazing. And, you know, just like David is willing to say, hey, I'm going to let God be God and God's going to let me be me as we as I participate with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying that there's not a place for repentance. That That's a different topic. And I, I think sometimes in our in our day to day life and within our culture, we conflate the idea of, oh, God loves me for me. And, oh, I don't need to repent. Right. And so the, those no. We always need to repent of sin, and we need to be repairing that 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 relationship. Because the closer we get to God, the closer we are to our image giver, and the better we are able to reflect Him, and the freer we are because mm-hmm. we're more effective that way. And so, when we read David's story, these are things we need to be plugging in and, and pulling out of it, and saying, "I can be me as long as I'm being who God says I need to be." Right. And there is freedom to be that. Christianity is not oppressive. And I think people forget that. It's not oppressive, but it will leave you raw and hurt over things when you recognize that, yes, I, I do have to confront the sin in my life. Mm-hmm. But the good news is there's healing on the other side of that. Absolutely. So, well, cool. <laughs> now that we chased that rabbit, four so, or five. Four or five, yeah. <laughs> Got a whole bag of rabbits. So, anyway, um, Everyone, I don't know, you're hunting rabbits, you put them in a bag. Is that what you do with them? Yes. Or tuck their heads under your belt. Uh, don't ask me how I know that. Well, I assume you read books. So A few of them. Anyway, um, <laughs> that being said, everyone, thank you for joining us. Um, I felt like we had really good momentum, and then we got to run in too fast and just... What, right off somewhere. the rails. Um like an albatross trying to take <laughs> off. Uh, the, anyhow. Wrap it up. <laughs> everyone, thanks for joining us. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show this week. I don't know what happened there, but uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, because why not after this, um, join us, Raven Creek SC, on all the social media. RavenCreekSC.com is the website. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. podcast a raven creek social club production don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter and instagram if you like what you've heard please write us a review on itunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash raven creek sc as always thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next